Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilker. I got a little self-conscious about the David Lynch thing. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't want to. I didn't want to make you second guess. Yourself. No, no, no. It's okay. I but think... that was maybe one of your best ones yet. It was very clean. <laughs> it was very professional. That's, so. what, that's what I was going for this week. I was going for professional. Uh, yeah, yeah. We were just we were just catching up on our weekend. Weird. I've had a weird weekend. A weird, like yeah. emotionally charged weekend. I I just went to my parents' house. They're moving out of New Jersey, so I will have no more links to New Jersey. Oh, that's at this sucks. point, which is you, weird. everyone I mean, needs a link to Jersey. Jersey will always be in my heart, at least you know. Sure. Um, but actually, like we drank enough water that there's something in us from Jersey. <laughs> always, it's inextricable yeah. from our being. We're seventy percent Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it seems your body has something called vitamin Z. I don't really know <laughs> what this is, but uh, for Zamboni. You definitely drank something. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, I, I don't know. Just like packing up a lot of stuff that I had left there. Yeah, I, a friend of mine described it as um, opening up a time capsule you didn't know you'd buried, uh, which yes. is a really good way of putting it. But I just I found so many video games. Like I didn't I didn't even realize just how many games I had I had left there. And it was all stuff that we've like talked about recently on the show, which was That's weird. So another creepy. weird yeah. like Aether materializing shit. I sent you a picture of Red Steel because I feel like the weird <laughs> in joke between the two of us now is just saying red steel and the uh, jersey devil and the PS1. jersey devil for the playstation one which i didn't even know i had i thought i had just rented that from a place i didn't know that i had purchased the copy of it for myself i mean you might have rented it and just like conveniently forgot i've done that before maybe i have like 15 blockbuster in my shelf yeah, right i have now. i have <laughs> camp on vhs and there's a sticker that says new releases on it it's still <laughs> in my house but uh I don't know. I maybe expect me to talk about Red Steel soon if I can find a Nintendo <laughs> Wii. That's not going to happen. <laughs> I still have my Wii. Next time we hang out, we should play Red Steel. Okay. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. Bring bring your Wii to New York. I used to. Oh, that you just gave me a flashback of like in high school commuting to New York because I, I had like a group of New York friends. Mm-hmm. If you're in North Jersey, everyone has the the mysterious New York friends, right? And I would always bring my Wii with me in my backpack it was wow. it was actually a very convenient system to bring with you yeah it was, it was very it's pretty compact yeah yeah a lot of cable the the sensor bar of it all was always annoying because also the, it was really flimsy and weird and also the the cable that connected it to the wii was weird yeah i, rem- I remember i remember remember unraveling it it also always looked ugly especially in like a dorm room setting where it would just be this like unattractive wire yeah. around the corner of your cabinet yeah I, I always wish there was a there was a better way of of doing it you know because even the candle trick was like cumbersome you know setting up candles next to your tv what was that do you know about that oh no. it's okay so the the whole thing with the sensor bar was that you would plug it into the wii and you're just providing power to these two little like infrared sensor or like infrared lights so the, it's actually the wii mote that's doing all the sensing it's not the sensor bar the sensor bar was actually just like emitting a light so you could just replace the sensor bar with two lit candles on either side of your TV, and that would count wow. as a sensor bar because the the Wiimote was just looking for an infrared light to like <laughs> latch onto. I now I really want to play Resident Evil Four on the Wii with two lit candles. Yo, hell yeah! What a great idea! Halloween vibes. Oh my Game god! Over blood the candles. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so you're you're playing Wild Hearts. <laughs> Jeez, I thought you had more of your story. No. I could have provided a nice segue. Nah. I was I was like gearing up for more. And then you give me a, a wet potato and now I just have to <laughs> I know I just really want to hear about this game. I have it downloaded on my Xbox. I just plugged my Xbox back in uh, for the first time in like a month. I, I set it back up in my in my office so I could maybe stream some stuff. I have some ideas. But uh nice. but I downloaded Wild Hearts, at least that like uh Xbox demo that they have available. But yeah, you've been playing it. 
Yeah, I, I've been playing Wild Hearts. So Wild Hearts came out this past Friday. So if you have EA Play, which comes with Game Pass, there's a 10-hour demo, I believe. Um, and there's also right. a insultingly small discount. You can save like $6 on the purchase. <laughs> uh, I missed that there was a demo. I did end up just taking advantage of that insulting discount. Oh, really? This, you bought the this, full game? I bought the full game, nice. yeah. Which was kind of a risky purchase because like, I wasn't really, I didn't even know this existed until reviews dropped and mm. I wasn't even completely sold on the idea. But sometimes there's a game that comes out that I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to feel about it, but I know that's going to be good to talk about. I know yeah. it's going to be a good episode. Right. And not to reduce creation into content, but I just like... <laughs> We've talked a lot about sort of the early stages of genres forming and also something that I, I keep thinking back to was this idea that we kind of arrived at in our Metroidvania bonus, which we talked about Super Metroid and Symphony of the Night, where we were like exploring the origins of the term Metroidvania and kind of being like, ideally, genre is a guide and not a container. Like, mm. I think the constant debates of like, what is considered a Metroidvania? What is considered a roguelike? Like, like that's I think it's worthwhile to define it. But I think there's a part of that that leads to just gatekeeping. Mm -hmm. What I think is more interesting is seeing like as games continue to evolve, you know, whenever there is something kind of bubbling that resembles a new genre, what terms can we give that and, and what does define that kind of path of inspiration totally yeah i think we're at a point with like souls likes for example i don't i don't love that term but i do think we've seen enough games kind of blatantly rip off from soft stuff but we've also seen games that like really take a piece of of those games from from software and like run in a different direction with it yeah you know i think games like hollow knight are are the platonic ideal of that where like there's obviously very visible inspiration from a number of things but the vibe and feeling and and experience of hollow knight is kind of solely its own right so i bring all that up because i think we have now seen two very big attempts at doing monster hunter so for those who don't know wild hearts is published by ea developed by omega force and it's like very, very visibly a take on Monster Hunter. Right. This is by the team that did Neo and Neo 2, right? So I think there's some crossover because Omega Force is a part of Koei Tecmo. Mm -hmm. um, but specifically, this is the team that helped develop a lot of the Warriors games as well as Dragon Quest Builders 2 <laughs> and uh, Tokaiden, I believe, which is also oh. a Monster Hunter game. Yeah. So... As much as this kind of see, seems like EA trying to make it their own Monster Hunter, Omega Force actually has like done enough that this makes sense, that this would be their next project. Interesting. So what comes to mind was uh, Dauntless, which came out, I think, in like 2019. That, I think, was Riot Games or Epic. It was Epic Games, I that, uh That is a team that got purchased by Epic Games. That came I out... See years and years ago but then i think got released on switch which is when you played it in 2019 but yeah that 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 was like a, an attempt at a big free-to-play version of monster hunter which was a cute idea i mean it, it was like good i played that that weirdly enough i played that at pax years and years ago um and had a really good time with it, it it's like a more i would say cartoony version of monster hunter in some ways and then the free-to-play angle was i think really fascinating yeah we we played it a decent amount in 2019 i actually had it on the ps4 but mm. regardless i think the goal with that game at least from my perspective was like what would it look like if you streamlined the gameplay loop of monster hunter and kind of made it a little bit more approachable and arcadey right and i think they did that pretty well because i think the loop of monster hunter has kind of remained the same and is in some ways the main draw where it's like there's this sort of intricate 
planning phase in a home base and then you go out hunt the monster come back make new stuff but i think what dauntless kind of failed to do in my opinion was make the sense of place feel appealing like i think the reason you keep playing monster hunter world or monster hunter rise is the fact that those places feel so alive Mm -hmm. and the monsters too feel so especially in world where they like you'll be hunting one monster and then another one will just swoop in and eat that one and it feels like yeah this ecosystem that you're trying to become a part of and are ill-equipped to do right um dauntless was very much like there's a fire monster you better bring your ice sword and it's like okay guys yeah but it was a cool idea and i i enjoyed it for what it was worth so I was curious to see what Wild Hearts would be like and if they would get closer. I have played this game longer than I planned to, so I'm probably like six or seven hours into it. And I'll say this, the first couple hours are really impressive, but feel really derivative. Like, mm. I really love the look of it. Um, they're definitely going for very, like, samurai aesthetic and tone. Um, so Rise sort of had that energy, but this feels more like more like Neo or something where, yeah. you know, it's it's like very much focused on that kind of story. And you are a lone wanderer in the beginning. So I appreciate that actually the game kind of just throws you right in and you're this character, you know, making your way through this environment. You find a couple like low level monsters to fight and then you meet a mysterious stranger who mm. asks you like Myers-Briggs questions <laughs> and then you make your character. Um, and the character creator is like super in depth. It's pretty cool. I'm, like they're definitely like the production value is here. It also feels good. Like they definitely, it, it feels like Monster Hunter, but it also feels like a Neo or a Dynasty Warriors where like, it's not quite as like combo-y, but there's a little bit more flash to the moves. We're like, in Monster Hunter, you're just constantly like falling, I feel. <laughs> in Wild Hearts, I'm like, you know, sheathing my katana and then do like a bunch of dramatic hits. Cool. So it has that same like give and take where like you want to make sure, you know, you're you're waiting for the right time to strike. But it feels different enough. But I, I was kind of unconvinced for the first hour, but I was impressed by the environment. And also the monsters themselves are really cool. I think mm. they really nailed the fact that like if you're making a monster hunter game or monster hunter-esque game the actual like creatures you're fighting have to inspire something from the player yeah you know they can't just be generic like if the whole game is focused around these hunts that has to be the main event so what is the vibe like are they differentiating what these monsters look like for monster hunter because i feel like monster hunter at this point especially i think one of the things that's interesting to note about monster hunter is that almost every game is kind of building on the previous game in a way going all the way back to the original for ps2 right it's like a it's more of a lineage this franchise than it is like you know huge like breath of the wild or fire emblem three houses level improvements one over the other even even the the branching paths between world and rise are both two branching paths based on the stuff that came out on the 3ds and the wii u it's like not it's not that different from what we've seen in the past but that entire time you've seen kind of a similar vibe in the creature design going all the way back to the first game like it's it's dinosaurs it's like it's dinosaurs <laughs> and almost everything but name you know with some obvious exceptions you know like there's an abominable snowman in rise uh who has an ice sword but uh for I the most him. part it's like dinosaurs so what's the deal with wild hearts what, what are they going for they're a little bit more simultaneously they're more demonic but they also look like they're parts of nature given life um that's extremely so- sick 
That's right? so cool. That's a great so idea. Yeah. One of the, one of the first bosses is this kind of monkey creature. That's whole tail is like a big blossom into this sort of like poisonous plant. Hell yeah. And there's an, another one later that's whole power is throwing sap at you and its face is just a big bush. <laughs> so I, I like that they it feels like something is sort of corrupting the world itself and yeah. it's manifesting into these creatures. They're not like fully demonic, like uh, the yokai you fight in Neo or something, but mm-hmm. it, it definitely feels like a really creative way to interpret monsters. Yeah. And so all that was working for me enough for me to keep playing. So, okay. It feels good to play and the monsters are cool. That's a kind of all they had to do on one level. Right. The thing I think this game does really, really well is I think something Monster Hunter World brought to Monster Hunter that I like it makes going back really hard is the fact that the levels where you hunt monsters are seamless. Mm-hmm. So it's one big map. Like if you play on the 3DS or the older Monster Hunters, when you enter like part of an area of a map, there's like a brief loading screen. Right. And I understand why they had to do that. But I think getting that to be seamless, like you can't go back after that. It's yeah, really it's tough. Yeah. And and Rise does something similar. But what what those games still do is there's a distinct division between the planning phase and the hunt. So like you go back to camp, do your thing. And, there, and there's still like little campsites on the map where you hunt, but they're like very much little bases. What Wild Hearts does that I think is really creative is it's all on the same map so like your camp where you hunt everything is in this seamless landscape and the main new mechanic here (laughs) is essentially like a Fortnite building mechanic which when i first saw it i was a little bit skeptical because i'm like is this just ea saying what if monster hunter but Fortnite? because like that sounds so soulless to me yeah that was how you got sick That's how I got the cold I have right now. Um, (laughs) But uh, so you get this like kind of magical gauntlet that can make things and they do a good job slowly giving you more power. So in the beginning, all you can make are boxes and those will just like let you get to higher places. And in battles, Ah, you can like make a box jump up and get in like a cool attack mm. so are monsters constantly attacking the village is that the thing uh no they're just like i mean you don't have to like defend the village at oh, all okay. um like the first place where you set up camp is pretty isolated and i'll get to sort of how camps work in a minute but you can make a few things like in battle so like right now i have the ability to make springs and boxes and i just got the ability if i make like a bunch of boxes like like a row of like three by three it will make a wall yeah so the boss i'm fighting right now is this giant boar and if i can pull off building a wall as he rushes me you know he crashes into it and i i can get in an attack Mm. i will say it's a little bit of a learning curve it's like pretty hard to pull off some of that and i often forget that that's an option so i'm still a little bit unconvinced like i think it's a cool addition to combat but i have yet to like incorporate it into my strategy yeah where this game really shines though is secretly uh i think the polygon review compared it to death stranding and that stuff is so cool so essentially in addition to like building the boxes and stuff in combat whenever you build anything on the map it stays there pretty much mm. um until unless it's like just if you're you know if you make a box and a monster destroys it that's gone but like you know when you're not in combat you can make campsites and uh campfires and like workbenches to upgrade your stuff so in the mm. very beginning you're in this sort of isolated area with a couple npcs and like you're taught like how to make a tent how to make a, a workbench and all that stuff so like 
that is your de facto camp. But at any point in the map, like there are spots where you unlock the ability to like build more things. So I just got the ability to make basically like a, a zip line where I can make this device where I can shoot and then zip line up and kind of get somewhere way faster. Yeah. In addition to whenever you make a campsite, that acts as a fast travel point. So all that stuff stays there. And essentially what that does, very similar to Death Stranding, is as you play, you've just sort of made this world easier to traverse for yourself. Wow. And same thing when you have, like, if you have friends join your campaign, they can build stuff that will also stay there. So there's sort of like, it's not quite like a, like that survival mode in Monster Hunter Rise, which I was kind of mixed about. Mm -hmm. it's more death stranding where it's like okay like i just died for the second time against this fight and now i have to walk all the way back there what can i build to make like my path there a little easier and that stuff i think is really clever and really makes this game feel unique like it's, it's one of those examples of if you're pulling from a lot of different things it ends up feeling like a new thing rather than it's this with this i'm just really impressed i wouldn't have expected like <laughs> death stranding to be the the secret ingredient for wild hearts but <laughs> I, I very like once you can make zip lines, that's where the game takes off, I think, because that is just so fun and it's so clever. And the story is interesting. I'm not like super invested in it, but I, I think it's interesting that and it feels purposeful that unlike Monster Hunter, which always feels very warm and almost feels kind of Pokemon-esque where everyone's just like pumped you're there and like yeah. pumped to eat with you. This game feels very solitary unless you specifically make the effort to like, you know, have friends join you. It, it almost feels like Dark Souls where it's like the way multiplayer works is kind of like that where you summon people and they show up. So like, it's sort of like the game is purposely isolating to inspire you to make a sense of home yourself yeah this game feels like they want you to eventually make a place that feels like the village in, Mo in monster hunter rise but like you have to work to get that yeah so i think that's a really cool approach of this style of game have you played any multiplayer yet no i haven't i uh, i have some plans to play with with a friend of mine um so i'm excited to see how that feels and it's the one thing like my my big gripe with the game so far and it's not really a gripe but i think it could have been better is that it's like really hard mm. and i feel like Monster Hunter is already kind of a big ask and I just feel like if you're trying to make like a a alternative to Monster Hunter making it a little bit more approachable just feels like the obvious path yeah so because I also like at, at one point it's like I'm not sure who the target audience is here then because like if you're new to this like genre if you want to call it that this is maybe going to be overwhelming mm -hmm. um, and if you're a diehard Monster Hunter fan you're probably you know scoffing at this game's existence yeah yeah I was just about to say that I kind of I actually <coughs> texted one of our mutual friends uh, Pablo, who's like maybe the biggest Monster Hunter fan either of us know. Yeah. And I was like, hey, have you been playing Wild Hearts? Because I knew we were going to talk about it today. I just like kind of wanted his take. And he was like, no, I'm not interested. It's like, man, if you if you're like a really big Monster Hunter fan, you're not interested in Wild Hearts. And it really does raise like a who is this for question. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. And from what I've read to the PC version is like a little bit buggy right now. This is the um, thing I was going to bring up too. Yeah. It, it, it apparently just has like a ton of performance issues, um, which maybe could get fixed with a patch. Yeah. On Xbox, it's large fine but i have noticed a couple things but like mm. nothing like that i don't think could be rectified one thing i would highly recommend is turn off motion blur i don't know like the motion blur in this game is so dizzying mm. and there's already so much happening at all times i'm like <laughs> i don't need motion blur when i'm like getting thrown around by a sap demon yeah so i i think the uh 
I see what they're going for with the difficulty. Like it's not undoable, but I think they're trying to encourage you to like use your buildings to like make the fight easier or summon people to help you. You can also find these like sort of somewhere between like the guardian, like the sort of like old Sheikah technology in Breath of the Wild and the Palico cats. You can find these little like robot companions that are scattered around. Okay. Um, and they help you as well. Yeah. Um, and that, that also like, I think it, they're trying to make you feel the impact of like the things you get. Mm. So it's like, okay, like I, I've noticed what it, what a difference putting a spring here has done for this fight. So like the, that sap demon will like charge at you. So the game's like build the spring so you can like dodge that and then get in a hit. And that's really fun. And I think the springs have been my favorite, like in battle, uh, addition so far. And you have a limited amount you can make. So like usually when the monster is like injured and, and starts walking back to his nest on the way there, there's like a ton of stuff to find and resources to get. Mm. So I'm like really surprised by this game. I, I I was kind of ready to write it off given the sort of first hour or so where I'm like, this is a really well done EA clone of, of a series I love, <laughs> but like how much do I want to play this? Or support that even like idealistically. Right. Yeah. But the Omega Force of it all, like I, I feel like that that to me gives this project a little bit more merit where I feel like this is some there's clearly passion behind this, you know, mm-hmm. like obviously there's, there's business as well. But like, I, I do think the fact, <laughs> the fact that like in some ways, the fact that it isn't approachable and like, is this sort of like hardcore vision of what monster hunter could be, I think means that they had like this plan for it in their heads and they weren't really worried about bringing on new players or maybe it was just a horrible miscalculation. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I, I think if you are a fan of the genre, I would I would recommend giving it a chance. I do think it's an interesting perspective on the series. I don't really think it's ever going to top or replace Monster Hunter. I don't think anything really can. I think if 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 monster hunting can be a genre, I think you need to do more to differentiate yourself. But I do think that Wild Hearts for me is a much better example of that than Dauntless was. Mm. Yeah, that's kind of why I was bringing up the like lineage of Monster Hunter in the first place is yeah. like, OK, you're I don't know, 30 games deep in that <laughs> fucking intellectual property at this point. It's so hard to be a newcomer in that yeah. in that way, you know, like obviously you can build off the successes of what Monster Hunter has has learned over years and years and years and years of development and iteration. Um, But, you know, the first the first one's always going to be tough. And I think Dauntless Dauntless really came at it from a, a, a rough angle by being a live service thing instead of saying like dauntless will exist and then we'll do a sequel and then we'll do another sequel you know the same way monster hunter has but instead by saying no no no, this is the foundation and everything else will be iterative on top of that you know adding new monsters adding new weapons things like that instead of saying let's wipe the slate clean and start over there are merits and obviously detractions from that uh but as we know, I think that team has now moved on to making what is essentially like a Harvest Moon or Rune Factory uh, that's also free to play, which I'm actually kind of excited about. It seems like an interesting idea. Um, yeah. But I'm glad that there is another another team trying to come at what Monster Hunter is, uh, because just getting different takes on the same idea is valuable, I think, in some cases. Yeah. Sometimes, as you mentioned, like you just get a completely derivative, like absolutely nothing, maybe shouldn't have made this in the first place kind of situation. But as long as you're doing enough differently, I, I think you're coming at it from from a perspective of like at least intrigue and trying to push it forward. And and the idea of having something competing against Monster Hunter can only make Monster Hunter better in the long run as well. Absolutely. I mean, think about like I 
remember by the time Sekiro came out, you know, Souls likes have had become a new genre. You know, there there was a new one every week. Yeah, and I think we already had Neo at that point, right? Which we was already like, had Neo. Yeah, yeah, which I think was sort of the big like, oh shit, this could actually work. Yeah, uh, moment. And then there was almost like a lot of pressure. I think when Sekiro came out for from soft to prove they were still the best at what they do. Yeah, and then they proved it twice in different ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the trilogy of games after Dark Souls three are all just like goddamn man. <laughs> like we we've mentioned, like Sekiro feels like okay, this is like if FromSoft was asked like make your own PlayStation Studios game, but like still you. Yeah, and then Elden Ring was like give us a new reason to live, basically. <laughs> But yeah, I, I think you would like Wild Hearts. I think maybe check out the demo if you're if you're like on the fence. I would say give it until you have the ability to sort of make stuff in the world. Mm-hmm. That's where I think the game kind of becomes its own and where you can see what their plan for it is. Like, don't get me wrong. There's still some stuff that I don't think needs to be one to one. The classic bonfire and fog walls. Like, do we need the exact same skinning uh, animation? Oh, man. Do we really? need like the yeah, do we need the exact same like some of the outfits are like one to one? Um, so that stuff is like, come on, guys, Like you could have like done something because I think the core of the game and, and the design of, of the tone of it and the world and the monsters all feel unique. Right. So just kind of it's like eye rolly that some stuff is just like exactly the same. When I'm like, That's yeah. not why. That's a bummer. Yeah. Although they do do one thing that I think is really fun and different enough. So like uh, in Monster Hunter, whenever you like kill the hunt, they play like happy music and then everyone starts skinning the beast and they're like, yeah, I can't wait to eat this and it's like kind of unsettling Mm -hmm. and this game you do a finishing move so the monster's like down and then it does like killing blow and it's very like you know one last hit Mm -hmm. it's really cathartic to get that like cinematic killing blow on the monster so i don't know i I think it's a cool game i definitely think like you said when a new genre is forming it begins with (laughs) ripoffs yeah and i think this game is doing just enough to avoid being called that which is tough because this is also ea like just the fact that ea's name is on this I think is going to rub a lot of people the wrong way uh, and rightfully so but mm. uh, Omega Force makes cool stuff they gave us Dragon Quest Builders too. thank you Omega Force good video game yeah yeah I, I'm interested I'm, I'll check this out I'm going to play this I think you'll have fun with it yeah. I, I don't think it's and I, I think the best thing to do if you're trying to make an angle on Monster Hunter is like don't even bother competing with it make a different thing you know like don't even try to yeah like and, and I think having having the focus on the Death Stranding world building which I think is like a really Really, really cool mechanic that I'd love to see just have more influence overall. Like I've said it before, Absolutely. Death Stranding, like despite what you may think of it, like I do think their approach at open world design is still one of the most novel I've seen. Yeah. In a post Breath of the Wild world, I think of like the two games that I think have pushed open world in interesting directions have been <laughs> Death Stranding and Elden Ring for very different reasons. But I yeah. think that those are games that are clearly going out in different directions with the idea. So. Yeah. I think I think the biggest thing for me about Wild Hearts that gives me a little bit of a pause and and I'm excited to check it out and kind of form my own opinion on it. But it's one of those things where we're sitting here comparing it against Monster Hunter, where I'd rather be comparing it to Monster Hunter. Do you know what I mean by that? Like it's, I, I would, I would much rather come at this saying like, Oh, this, this feels like it's taking inspiration from Monster Hunter instead of being like, okay, how is this different from Monster Hunter? And let's like give it points for everything that it does better uh, or different, you know? But the idea of there being like the same skinning animation and stuff is a little bit much. Honestly, the thing that's like really, of all the things that you said, the thing that really kind of lit my, my, my synapses up is the idea of it all being one seamless place, which feels yeah. like 
such an obvious thing for Monster Hunter to have done at this point, and it hasn't yet. And I understand why, right? When you look at things like World and Rise, the whole idea is that you're going out into different, like extremely different biomes, right? Here's here's the volcano area. Here's the ice area. Here's the jungle. And it's like it's hard to mesh all of that into one seamless world. And I'm curious to see how Wild Hearts pulls that off. It's it's a really, really cool idea. And it kind of feels like a no-brainer after the fact. Yeah. And you know, like, there is no way Monster Hunter isn't just going to be like, thank you, and like, do that in the next one. Right. <laughs> you know, because and that's going to be incredible. Because um, I'm but, sure there's, I'm sure World 2 and Rise 2 are in development simultaneously yeah. right now. And I'm sure one of those two will do that. I think this game is very much worth your time. I'm glad there's a demo and uh, I'm having a lot of fun with it. It's definitely a really, really good time. I'm going to play it. But not oh, on yeah. the PC because, <laughs> because I don't have one and because that port is bad. <laughs> no, no, no. Better uh, luck next time. But I will check that out on my recently plugged back in Xbox. <laughs> We're back, baby. Yeah, I downloaded that and I downloaded the uh, Arkham trilogy again. Oh, nice. I don't know why. I was just I was just feeling it. Amazing. Well, that's all I got for Wild Hearts. Okay. Well, I, I think we should take a break then. <laughs> Let's take a break. And I'm very excited about what you're bringing up next. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, we're back. Steven. Hi. I don't know if you remember exactly what I said before we started recording last week, but you and I, we were talking about the fact that we have an upcoming episode about the 3DS that we're going to release on our Patreon very soon. Uh, well, we're recording it soon, at least. And we're also talking about the Sega Dreamcast later in the year for our next yes. season premiere. Um, and I was talking a little bit about researching consoles to potentially do other console retrospectives on. And I brought up the PlayStation Portable. Do you remember what I said about the PlayStation Portable? Looking at the list of the best games of all time for that system. I and I, I say this with love. I fear the ats that this statement will result in uh, <laughs> online. But um, you told me I'm so glad we didn't choose the PSP to do an episode about. Yes, basically. Yes, I said that looking at the list of the best games of all time, like on Metacritic and in other people's lists. I had zero interest in doing the PSP uh, as, as a console retrospective eventually because the PSP is weirdly I, I find it like one to one with the Dreamcast in a way where it's like I have no history with it. I don't know anything about the games that were released on that thing. I was like it, it was just kind of a black box for me, you know, like one of those yeah. things where if we went in to do it, I would have absolutely no context whatsoever. I'd be building up from a foundation of nothing. That's kind of what I'm so excited about for the Dreamcast episode is like I have like That's what I was about to say. Yeah passing experience like it's always it's always been a mysterious thing for me because i had like a couple friends who had one and i played a couple games for it like recently and i have this like attraction to that era but not that foundation with it so anyway continue yeah, with the PSP. yeah, yeah. I, I my my only experience with the dreamcast is um i had to go like my mom drove to drop something off at some kid's house who i didn't know and and they talked for like 15 minutes and he was like dude do you want to see the dreamcast and he showed me <laughs> He showed me the first Sonic adventure for about like eight minutes and then I had to leave. And that's like my only experience with the Dreamcast. I borrowed my friend's Dreamcast in 2008 and played Shenmue. And then uh, <laughs> when we were together, we would play Soul Calibur 1, which still rules. Yeah. And I imagine we'll be on that episode. Yeah, absolutely. Then my roommate got one and uh, we also played Soul Calibur 1 a lot. So. The, the PSP on the flip side, I knew one kid in high school who had one, like just one. Um, and... 
I never I never saw him playing it except this one time. I remember we were sitting very New Jersey. We were sitting at a mall uh, yeah. in a food court at a mall. And he and we were like waiting for somebody to show up. And he whipped out his PSP and started playing Tony Hawk on it for like four minutes. And it was the only cool. time I had seen a PSP like running. Obviously, I'd heard about it a lot. Even at that point, I was already like you know, extremely tuned into video games, media and just everything that was happening. Um, but the PSP was always one of those things where it was like, I don't know, man, I have a Nintendo DS. That's fine enough by me. I don't need a PSP. Were those the same years? Was PSP like 2006, 2007? Yeah, that's, I think, one of the more interesting things to talk about with the PSP is that they got announced around the same time and they released within a couple months of one another. Mm. The going theory before both of them released was that Nintendo was out of its league and that Sony was going to absolutely like ruin them. And for a little bit there, it kind of seemed like that was actually the case. Nintendo was really playing a long game with the DS. Well, you and I talked a lot about this on the Nintendo DS bonus, but like the DS wasn't an immediate hit. It did like pretty well when it launched, but it was just a constant software cycle that propelled it into its success. Right. Things like Brain Age kind of like breaking out of the realm of what you would even expect a video game console to be capable of and what target audiences they were going for. Like it was very much the beginning and you could read this and in Reggie's own words in his own book, but like. Like it was very much the beginning of this Nintendo mentality that we all think has always been there, but really kind of started on the DS as like they're just playing in their own league. They're like expanding what an audience for video games can be. They're completely uninterested in what anyone else is doing. They're only interested in bettering their own hardware, whereas Sony, that's not the approach they're taking at all. They were like, we're going to beat Nintendo at their own game and we're going to do everything we possibly can to make that happen. And when you look at the two systems next to one another, it's like the PSP blows the DS out of the water like the PSP is such a like bananas hardware like extravaganza by comparison because it, like the thing launches with like Skype on it you know like you could like <laughs> call your friends and family from the PSP it, the whole thing is like console quality level games in your pocket which you and I talked a little bit about this on the Nintendo DS, but like the DS wasn't that capable graphically in terms of like what they could do from a 3D perspective. There were a lot of concessions that needed to be made to get games to run in full 3D on the DS. That wasn't a concern at all on the PSP. Yeah, I remember like a lot of the, you know, with Game Boy Advance, a lot of the early titles were ports of Super Nintendo games that almost like a proof of concept where it's like, yeah, look at this jump. And honestly, that that still has felt like one of the biggest jumps like from Game Boy Color, Game Boy Pocket, like the fact that I could play Yoshi's Island on a Game Boy Advance is like wild. And yeah. then the DS did the same thing with N64. Right. But just sort of like different degrees of success. Where like some some 3D games in that system look wonderful. Like Mario Kart DS still looks incredible. Yeah. And has a very distinct look to it. Same with like Wild World. Like there's a specific polygonal style there that we've only really seen in like a short hike since yeah <laughs> but yeah I, I know what you're saying in terms of in terms of the the power of the system yeah so all all of that having been said all that preamble aside having looked at that list and saying to myself i'm uninterested in the psp i don't want to do that as an episode i thought to myself after we were done recording last week's episode i was like that's that's almost the antithesis of how i live my life it's just writing <laughs> off an entire catalog of video games like that so i i have spent the whole week i put aside the 3ds because we're recording the 3ds next week and i was like i actually i want to spend the week looking at another portable system and seeing what's good and bad about this this system's library in comparison to the 3ds and i th i think this might be an interesting conversation but i i wouldn't say i've completely turned around on the psp but it has highlighted i think for me why nintendo continues to dominate 
the handheld market and why even with the PSP and the Vita, Sony like couldn't really find a foothold. They definitely did very well. I mean, the PSP sold like tens of millions of units worldwide. It's not like a failure by any stretch of the imagination. But over the course of its life cycle, it was clear that they were just like, like there's the PSP 1000, which is the hardware that launched. And then the PSP 2000, which is the exact same hardware. It's just a little bit thinner. And apparently the disk drive was faster. And like that was it. And they were like, here's our big upgrade for this year for the PSP. And then you have the PSP 3000, which is actively worse than the previous two. And then you have the PSP Go, which at this point, the PSP has been out for like six or seven years and it's too late. You know, it's like, why are you, why are you still releasing <laughs> PSP models? Um, yeah. Whereas the whole the whole deal with it is like, oh, you actually just need software for it. You just need games that people are really going to like. So that's what I've been diving into is, is you know, the, the software library of the PSP. And I think the big takeaway for me is that the allure of console quality games in your pocket in a really portable handheld, you know, like the switch, as we've talked about a lot, I don't think that's actually portable. I think it like, yes, it fits in your backpack, but you're not going to shove it in your pocket. Obviously it doesn't work unless you have the switch light and big jeans, then you can fit it in your pocket. If yeah. You, if you got some jinkos, but the, the switch I think is like, trying to do a similar thing, right? Is like console quality level games in a handheld portable format. But the PSP was really the first attempt at like, let's take stuff that's on the PS2 and eventually the PS3 and shrink it down into something that could fit in your pocket. And that I have found almost never works. In all the games I've played, it almost never works. There are a couple like huge shining examples of it working. But for the most part, games that were released like cross platform that they then made a PSP port of for the most part feel worse and feel like something I would not rather be playing than the console version if possible. Yeah, this goes back to what we were saying, I think specifically in the DS episode of the intentionality of designing for specific hardware and like when a game is sort of made with being handheld in mind and pretty much almost all the games we played on the DS first and third party all were like excited to use DS features. Right. Whether that meant like connecting to the internet uh or using the touch screen using the dual screens like and even if it didn't utilize that just the act of being handheld and like being like oh okay we could have the map on another screen like every game felt like they were really thinking about the experience of a handheld game yeah which and, and I think, too, that the games that, like, I like playing handheld on the Switch are those types of games. And I think the games that I hear people talk about on the PSP are, like, largely, like, the definitive FF Tactics port and Persona 3, which I think are also games that are kind of known for being handheld. Yeah. So I, I think you're onto something there. Yeah, I just, I think when you compare the two specifically... One of the reasons I think the DS kind of outshone the PSP in the long run and and especially, you know, in retrospect is just that commitment to like being a weird device like the DS having (laughs) the two screens, having a microphone built in, connecting to the Internet, all that stuff. You put that alongside something that is literally just a screen with like a PlayStation controller attached to it. And it's more exciting, I think, to develop games for the DS, right? It's like it's it's a more exciting, more interesting prospect to say I have two screens to work with. And that that by itself, that creative decision in the hardware makes for more interesting creative decisions in the software. And that's one of the reasons why going back and replaying all those games for our episode, it was like, man, so much of this stuff holds up and so much of this stuff can only exist on the Nintendo DS, whereas most of the stuff I've been playing on the PSP can and should exist elsewhere. Like a lot of that stuff, because the mentality was we're trying to recreate the vibe of the PlayStation 2 in your pocket. That just means you have a bunch of games that could very easily have been made for different consoles. 
Yeah, I mean, this also goes to, by extension, like games on mobile, where it's like, I, I think that, and this is a different conversation, because I think that, you know, there's like a reputation with mobile games and sort of being like microtransaction nightmares and, and all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot, there are unfortunately a lot of games that fully fuel that perception. Yeah. Um, but then we played a lot of games that like fully utilize what a mobile game could be. Not that every game needs to be sort of glued to one specific piece of hardware, but I do think that when at least we're talking about systems and looking back on the games that utilize the hardware in creative ways almost always stand out. And I, I think too, like it now that we're moving towards a reality where the idea of like getting a new console is like maybe changing like this sort mm-hmm. of business model of like every five years there's a new box it's like if we're moving towards a reality where every game is available and you just sort of choose where you want to play it that's not a bad reality but it does remove that that creative spark that could exist yeah and i wonder if you know for consoles to exist alongside say pc gaming i do wonder if like I mean, Nintendo, I think, will always kind of have that intended experience. I think, like, the Switch is weirdly the first one in a long time that doesn't, Uh, even though it's centered around the idea of, like, being handheld or not, which I do think really works for the Switch and has obviously paid off. You know, I think about, like, the Wii and the DS being very specific experiences in mind. Yeah. And then even the GameCube and N64, just, like, the act of having four controller slots made those systems, like, inherently social. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even just visually. Like, it always felt lonely to have one controller (laughs) plugged into an N64. Yeah. Yeah, very, very intentional design on that that front. And I I, I think one of the big things for me, I loved the PlayStation Vita. Um, I still have it sitting right behind me right now as as we record this because I've been playing that a bit recently also on and off. But the Vita, I think by comparison from a software perspective, I mean, obviously that thing didn't succeed and, and fell by the wayside very quickly. In both cases, the PSP and the Vita both got trounced by Sony themselves, by Sony focusing so much on like fixing the ongoing fire with their main console. So with the PSP, very quickly after release, they started to gear up to launch the PS3. And when the PS3 launched and was like an absolute dumpster fire at launch, they essentially was like all hands on deck to make sure that the PS3 succeeds in the long run and then totally ignore the PSP side of, of that platform, unfortunately. Yeah, it's so interesting to think about just the PS3 overall. Like, not a bad system by any stretch, but like that launch, I remember going into a GameStop and unprompted, the guy told me to not get a PS3. Because <laughs> um, yeah. it came out and it was like $700. It was like really expensive. Yeah. There were no games for it. That seems to be the problem of like mid aughts Sony is like they were really going all out on the hardware and not really considering why people are getting the system right it's not just having the biggest most powerful box every time you need you need content to back that up yeah and i think the ps3 ending with last of us i think has now led to where we are now as sony but now they're almost too obsessive about their like you know playstation studios games where they all kind of have to be like perfect in what they consider perfect to be yeah but that's a whole other conversation i would i would honestly say though even right now just looking at the the landscape of how people are talking about these consoles on the internet xbox very frequently gets the like no games discussion with with the series s and x but game pass really does kind of like make it all right it kind of balances out a little bit yeah but i'm starting to see a growing discontent in the playstation audience as well with the amount of content available for the five that is like exclusive to the five you know especially with things like ragnarok and horizon coming out on the ps4 like you could play both of those games on the base ps4 as well it raises a lot of questions for people who have purchased the ps5 in the last what three years 
Has that been out for three years at this point? Is there only two? Uh, like two and a half. I feel like it was like pretty late in yeah. 2020. Anywhere between two and three years, somebody has purchased a PlayStation 5. And how many PlayStation 5 exclusive games have they played that like really took advantage of that hardware and like made it worth buying? You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I could only think of one. Ratchet and Clank. Yeah. 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 That's kind of embarrassing. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously, it's been a tough time, too. Like, I don't want to. Of course. There's, there's a lot of factors, but like, it does kind of lead to the PS5. Like, I, I think if I tell everyone, unless you have a video game podcast, there's no reason to get it right now. Like, wait until the new model comes out and has like a bundle. The slim that's another $100 yeah. off. Yeah, totally. Because I don't regret getting it. Like, obviously, I'm glad I have it, but I, it does kind of paint a very uncertain future for Sony. Yeah. Uh, at least just like creatively. Like, I'm sure they'll do fine economically but i i think like are we gonna just do this again with the ps6 and by the time that comes out will there be more than 10 games right that have utilized the ps5's hardware it just seems like every other playstation succeeds you know yeah, and two like, and four well, well the five it. you got to eat shit for a little bit and then the six is going to be great and the thing about two and four is like i think the reason those systems did so well is the third party support like right. i think we're a little bit uh pre-programmed to see this all as a competition but you know it, it is a business and i do think that like we grew up in a time where the sort of there was like the consoles and the three major publishers things are getting much more spread out now but when you look at past systems and, and just say like okay like sales aside what system is still interesting today yeah uh it's all dependent on the third party support and like what that system was trying to do in and of itself right which is why when we're playing stuff like the ds and the 3ds seeing third parties take advantage of and be excited by the differences in that hardware is what makes that so interesting whereas a lot of the stuff i've been playing on the psp which I'm to be clear where this is going. This whole, this whole <laughs> bit is that I've turned around a lot on the PSP library, but I do want to get out of the way. Like a lot of the stuff that I've played is stuff where people just tried their best to get as much power out of that console as they possibly could. And say like, I am trying to make a PS2 or PS3 game that you can fit in your pocket. And very frequently that stuff does not hold up or, I think was even interesting when it launched even like games that I loved on the PS2 comparing them to their PSP counterparts is like, why would I ever play this if I have the better one at home? You know, um, yeah, right. which if you're a person who only has a PSP, which I think was the case for a lot of situations, it is cool to have a pocketable version of these things. But like one of the games I'm thinking of right now off the top of my head is SSX on tour, which is one of the later SSX games. One of my favorites, honestly, um, snowboarding game, if you don't know what SSX is, but like one of my favorite SSX games, um, I love the like art style of it i love the kind of vibe that they're going for in terms of the soundtrack as well like it feels very of its time in in like a little time capsule way that i i really appreciate and was excited to revisit and the psp version is like almost unplayable to me it's like first of all by virtue of the fact that it only has one analog stick instead of two makes it really difficult to get into but on top of that just visually they're trying to cram so much into it that it ends up being unreadable on on that screen on a screen of that size and it's also not powerful enough to do all of the things that you would expect in an ssx game which kind of leaves you wondering like why make this in the first place you know like why why even go after this that having been said i have noticed a few games that are like standouts like huge standouts that are like clearly built with the psp in mind what is this thing capable of let's learn the ins and outs of this hardware let's understand that this is a portable console that you need to fit in your pocket and will maybe be playing in you know little bits throughout the day um it reminds me a lot honestly you and i talked a little bit or a lot of bit about kingdom hearts 358 over two days on the ds yeah. and my favorite thing about that game is that it's set up in kind of like a mission structure where it's a kingdom hearts game where you go out and do like levels essentially you'll go out and do like a quest and a level so like you're going out into 
the various Disney worlds, but you're going out there kind of with like a Super Mario 64 mentality of like, you know, you go into a Super Mario 64 level and say there's one star that I'm trying to get. They're reusing the same level over and over again, but changing the the objective every single time that you're doing it. Right. 358 over two days is taking that approach to Kingdom Hearts, which is very smart and specifically for a handheld device that you can at any time close up and put in your pocket. The Crisis Core, the original Crisis Core, uh, which is a Final Fantasy VII spinoff starring Zack uh, that also recently got re-released on the on the Switch. That is the mentality that went into the design of Crisis Core uh, is like you're going out and doing specific missions. And then every time you're done with them, you go back into this hub in, in Shinra and you pick another mission and change up all your equipment and stuff and then go out and do the next one. Uh, and that format by itself, I think, makes that game one of the standouts on the PSP because it's like it's taking into account the fact that people probably won't sit there and play your video game on the PSP for three hours like they would a PS2 game or a PS3 game. Um, That by itself, I think, is really smart. But then you also, I think, have a couple games that really stand out because I think they did actually accomplish making a console level quality game that fits in your pocket. I, I the one of the big ones for me is um there are two God of War games that they released on the PSP. One of them is called Chains of Olympus, which is the first one that they released on the PSP. And that one is very much a thing that you and I talk about a lot, which is like just because you can do it doesn't mean that you should. Like <laughs> that first one Chains there of Olympus. There were a lot of DS ones like that. Yeah, yeah. there are, there are a billion. Yeah, and and th- Chains of Olympus is one of those games where it's like, it's cool that you were able to pull it off, but I don't know how compelling it is. It's like, it's like pretty good, but not great. A couple of years later, they released a follow-up called Ghosts of Sparta. And that game, if you had showed me that game, just video of it and said, this is a God of War game that released on the PS2, I absolutely would have believed you. It is like visually stunning, feels exactly like the PS2 God of War games, is as big and bombastic and cinematic as you remember all those games being on the PS2, but it's on the PlayStation Vita. It's a fucking miracle that that game runs and plays and is like amazing i i couldn't believe because i a lot of this week has been me just kind of like i don't know getting under the covers in my bed and being like i'm just gonna play this until i get tired and fall asleep and usually that has involved me bouncing around a couple different games but the night that i decided to devote to playing god of war chains of olympus and ghost of sparta i played chains of olympus for like maybe an hour and i played ghost of sparta for like two hours like i could oh, i yeah i couldn't believe how good that game was and then the next day i played it again like i was like i, <laughs> I need to keep playing this because it's like actually just a legitimately good God of War game from that era where God of War was a totally different thing than, you know, yeah. what we know now. Um, it's the thing that uh, current Kratos is atoning for is what I was enjoying yeah. the other day, <laughs> which I think is cool. I, th- I think it's cool that stuff like that exists. I, there's a there's a Ratchet and Clank game called Size Matters that is also similarly like, man, you somehow fit an entire fucking Ratchet and Clank game onto the PSP. It's like, you know, they have Secret Agent Clank. They have Daxter, these spinoffs that are specifically for the PSP. But every once in a while, they would make like a full ass game and it just works really well. I think me and my Katamari is another great example of that, where it's like that is just you fit a whole Katamari Damacy game on the PSP. It fucking rules. There are no exceptions that need to be made here. There are no things that they've left out. It's like just that whole experience but it fits in your pocket. And that's cool. Monster Hunter Freedom Unite, a similar one. It's like a lot of people argue that that's one of the best Monster Hunter games. And I see what they're talking about. It is like, you know, from that era of Monster Hunter, it is one of the standouts. It is one of the better ones. There's a lot of really impressive shit on there. But the stuff that's really working for me, the stuff that I can't put down is the stuff that is like made 
made from the ground up to be a portable game that is understanding that this thing will never achieve the PS3 level of quality or the PS2 level of quality. The stuff that's like people really taking into account what they're building on, you know? Yeah. One of the weird standouts for me is Rock Band Unplugged, which I was like <laughs> so confused by the existence of because if if you didn't play games in that era where Guitar Hero and Rock Band were like the craze, the whole thing was like you would buy this game and it would come with a plastic instrument and then that was your controller, right? So Guitar Hero very obviously had a guitar that you would hold and then you'd strum along and there were a bunch of buttons. Um, it was a rhythm game. Rock Band was the kind of like big bombastic return to form by the company that had created Guitar Hero before they had sold it. And they were coming at it from the perspective of we want a whole band to get together. Right. So they made plastic drums. They made plastic guitars that you could play as a guitar or as a bass. I love those drums so much. They were so, so much fun. fun. Yeah. Um, and then they had a microphone, like a USB microphone that you could sing into. And the whole idea was you would get a whole group together. You'd get a group of four together and you would sit down and you would play as a band together and you would play rock band like as a unit, as a band. And that's such an exciting concept. And I was like, why the fuck would you make that on the PSP? <laughs> like, in what world is that interesting on the PSP? Because you're obviously not going to carry around a big plastic set of drums with you and the PSP. It's, it's like maybe the least portable series possible yes. is Rock Band. And I was like, why on earth would you make a Rock Band for the PSP? So I obviously had to check it out and I needed to know what it was all about. And I started playing it. Steven, it's brilliant. It's a brilliant video game. <laughs> it is one of the best PSP games, at least that I've played in the past week the whole conceit is that you have when you're when you're holding the psp you have the d-pad on the left and the face buttons on the right the way that they make this game work is they shrink they shrink the notes that are coming at you instead of being i think it's five or six buttons on rock band and on guitar hero it's just four and it's the left button on the d-pad and the up button on the d-pad and the triangle button on the face buttons and the circle button on the face button so it feels very natural when you're holding the console in your hand that you would be just pressing the four kind of like outside buttons and just like in Rock Band, just like in Guitar Hero, the notes are coming out. You have to press them alongside them. You have to hold them at certain moments, whatever, whatever. But the big thing, the big exciting thing about Rock Band Unplugged, the thing that I'm absolutely obsessed with is they have you playing all four instruments at once. So you have four tracks coming at you, four tracks of notes coming at you. And the whole deal is that you have to play entire phrases. So they'll hit you with like 10 notes on the bass guitar and you need to hit all 10 notes. And when you do that, if you do that perfectly, the bass guitar will play itself for the next like 10 to 15 seconds. And then you press the trigger buttons to hop over to the other tracks. So like you'll do the bass guitar for like 10 seconds, then you'll move over to the vocals and then you'll move over to the drums and you'll move over to the guitar. And if you're in sync with the song, if you're playing perfectly, you will get to a, a kind of flow state where you really only need to focus on one instrument at a time. But as soon as you fuck up any of that, you're in like crisis mode. It's like, <laughs> I, I need to get this back on track. I need to figure this out. You know, you're trying to launch yourself into like a high score mode. They have like a star meter, just like in all the other games. You're trying to launch yourself into a high score mode so you can like shorten the phrases and like make sure that you're spinning all the plates and balancing them all perfectly. It's like a brilliant game. It's like an it's an amazing conceit for a game. I'm amazed that nobody has like continued this onward outside of just this PSP entry of Rock Band because it feels <laughs> like such a brilliant way of taking a thing that we all know and love and and shrinking it down to a portable size. It's like such an such a acute understanding of the hardware. I yeah. just find it brilliant. One of the other things, which unfortunately is no longer available, is that there's a ton of DLC for it. So you could get every song from Rock Band on the console, oh, also cool. on the PSP, which like that store doesn't exist anymore, so you can't do that. Um, so you are left with fewer songs than you would uh, normally, which is unfortunate. But I've been having a great time with Rock Band Unplugged. I found that game to be like 
so surprising. I love that. I found in general that rhythm games just really work well on on handhelds, which mm-hmm. you know makes sense. But like playing 3DS stuff and DS, even Game Boy Advance, like there there are a lot of great rhythm games on those consoles. Yeah, you and I just talked about Theater Rhythm, which was like a great right. 3DS game. Uh, now on the Switch, that will be one I probably uh will play handheld if I if I have a choice. Yeah, I think um, me too. Yeah, so. That's, that sounds awesome. I was hoping you would say that there was a mic component that you would sing into your PSP. I'm like, yes, make the public sing into their PSPs on, on the, the subway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah, I, 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 that's that's one of the games that I, I kind of played on the lark and was like so, so surprised by walking away from it. Yeah. But then there are the other things that are just kind of like games that only exist on the PSP that I think are amazing. There's one game by level five, our weird favorites. Um, called Jean d'Arc, which is about Joan of Arc, um, that Stephen, it's like a lost Fire Emblem game. It's like you would (laughs) you would love this game. It is literally the story of Joan of Arc told through like a fantasy lens. And the combat is exactly the same as Fire Emblem, like no changes at all. It's just Fire Emblem. Uh, But you're playing as Joan of Arc and she has uh, kind of like holy superpowers. It's brilliant. It's an amazing game. It's one that I will probably play more of and then talk about on the show eventually. But I I am like blown away by how good this game is. All of this having been said, wow, I'm kind of walking away from this thinking like maybe we should do the PSP eventually. (laughs) Well, I think we kind of already did. But I mean, I think like I think you walked out of that experience kind of recognizing like what makes certain handheld systems work more than others yes um at least for you and uh yeah i mean i at the very least i want to do a joan of arc bonus like immediately (laughs) um so i was thinking too like about um because we've actually like had this conversation in in a different way somewhat recently where like i think it was when we're talking about um fire emblem path of radiance maybe but regardless like i uh you know now having the switch and the steam deck Mm-hmm. I kind of noticed when I liked having games on the TV versus handhelds. And it really does boil down to like, what was the intended experience? Yeah. I, I was thinking too, with the PSP talk about Persona 3 Portable and like, well, I do think that some of that game is is limited compared to the PS2 version, like having no cutscenes and some of the like more visual limitations. I do think it was really smart of them to lean into the visual novel part of it mm-hmm. for the handheld experience. And I think at this point, Persona has kind of gone full circle and i think feeling almost more at home as a portable game than not what's interesting too is like you know at least looking at persona's history persona 3 portable was a psp port of a ps2 game that had to cut back a little bit even though they added new content like visually and and uh graphically they had to sort of pull some things back to make it work yeah whereas once they got to the vita they're like oh wait a minute this is actually a little bit stronger <laughs> and that's what led to golden which like, i think like the vita being a little bit more powerful than ps2 i think almost inspired atlas to keep re-releasing their games <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, persona 3 portable though is definitely a standout it's not one that i played this week because I've, I've played a little bit of it in the past but that is definitely another one of those ones it's like yeah i mean you had to make concessions to get that thing to run but it ends up being one of the best psp games because of that you know because yeah. because you really took into account like what is possible on this device you know, because you go back and you watch right before we started recording, I was watching E3 reveals of all the various versions of the PSP and just like just like the way Sony was marketing it and the and the way Sony was talking about it really was like, yeah, this thing is fucking unmatched, man. It can do anything like you can play an entire Tony Hawk game in your pocket. And it's like, yeah, you can. But should you is the question. <laughs> um, yeah, right. 
which I think un- unfortunately is one of the reasons that over time the PSP kind of fizzled out and like I-, I just think it didn't work in the long run because as cool and novel as it is to have that stuff in your pocket, it doesn't always work. And it's one of the things that I wanted to kind of really come at this week in the week before we record our 3DS bonus because the 3DS is a really interesting evolution of the DS where I do think a lot of third-party developers did kind of start to get into that PSP mindset of like, oh, this is more powerful than the DS, so that means that we can do bigger games on here. And in a lot of cases, that just like didn't work out. In a lot of cases, that just didn't work. And I think the games that you and I are probably going to talk about on that bonus are the ones that, just like the Nintendo DS and just like the Game Boy Advance, really think about the limitations of the hardware and what is cool to do with that versus just saying let's make the biggest most incredible thing we possibly can fit onto a cartridge on this thing <laughs> absolutely yeah it, it's uh it's limitation you know influencing intentionality yeah absolutely that i haven't been said i'm probably going to bring more psp games to the show because uh Please man am i in on it right now yeah uh, i yeah. feel like every every like old tactics or RPG game that has a million ports, it's always the PSP port that is like considered the definitive version. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. FF Tactics comes to mind where everyone's like, play the PSP version. I'm like, easier said than done, my friend, on a GameFAQs forum from eight yeah. years ago. Final Fantasy IV also, weirdly. Yes, exactly. That's the other one I was thinking of. Yeah. But yeah, that, that, I'm glad you got to rethink your words sharply delivered a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's really, it's interesting. I, I don't think the PSP was around long enough for a lot of developers to go at it and make like multiple shots at the same thing. And, and that's one of the reasons I like that there's two God of War games on there. Chains of Olympus and Ghost of Sparta make for like a really easy comparison point. But now that I'm thinking about it, there are like inverses of that where, uh, Criterion made two burnout games on, on the PSP. And I love, I'm a huge burnout fan and, there's one that came out that was called Legends and then another one that came out a couple of years later that's called Dominator. And Legends feels like just straight up Burnout 3 takedown on the PSP. Great. Love it. Played a bunch of that. Had a great time. Dominator I was excited to jump into and played a little bit of last night. And that game is like, oh man, they learned so much about the power of the PlayStation Portable, what kind of graphics they could like fit onto this thing. And it just feels like a muddy mess because they're trying to cram like a hyper detailed 500 mile an hour racing game onto a screen that's like (laughs) three inches in diameter. It's like you can barely understand what's going on in that game. And it's one it's a weird instance of a developer learning more about the potential of a piece of hardware and making a game worse because of it. Yeah, racing games are always kind of tough on handhelds. I've noticed it's very hit or miss. Yeah, you got You got to have items. That's the problem. (laughs) You got to have a shell in there. Crazy racers knew what they were doing on yeah Boy Vance. Uh, i do have i actually do have two more racing games that i want to check out that i haven't yet one of them is ridge racer which is like the very famous one where uh kaz got on stage at e3 and did his whole ridge racer thing maybe aj if you want to throw that audio in here go for it game is powered by namco it's ridge racer ridge racer remember that one and then the other one is is gran turismo which they just made a game that was just called gran turismo on the psp and i'm curious what that's like probably fun how many were already out at that point though I'm, at I'm, least four. i love the numberless confidence that's great yeah right I, i'm really yeah. yeah is it a reboot who knows um yeah I, th- I think at least four were out at that point because four was the one on the ps2 if i am not mistaken got it very cool the psp it's a surprisingly <laughs> good video game console i will say also it has like maybe my favorite boot screen and menu of like any is it the ma- bubbles or is that the any vita? console no, that's the vita the vita is the one with the bubbles um 
the PSP uh, just has this kind of like nice. Honestly, it looks like what they eventually did with the PS3. I think the PS3 mm. was based off of the PSP menu, uh, the XMB, as it was called. And uh, it's just very pretty. I like it a lot. I did realize I have a lot of nostalgia for the opening screens of, of Sony platforms when I played. Uh, oh, what was that game with the robots? Astro Astrobots? Astro yeah. Ast- no, not no, Astro no. It is. It is Astrobot. Yeah. And then Astro's Playroom. Yeah, all the worlds end with like the boot up screen of a, yeah. of a Sony device. Oh man, the PS3. PS3 is good, but PS1 is is the one for me. Mm. Uh, especially because there was a lot of dramatic tension whether or not the game would work. Would even work in the first so place. So you got yeah. the like, and then the, was like, okay, it's going to work. Yeah. Once you got the second one, that's how you know the game was going to start. I will say one thing that I didn't do that I real I finger on the trigger the whole week, Stephen, was uh, I did get the the over the hedge video game for the PSP, <laughs> and I was like, did you, did you play it? I did not play it. That's the oh, thing. You I, didn't I it. was hovering over it every time I booted up the PSP. I was like, man, am I gonna am I gonna play over the hedge? And uh, well, you had to leave something in the breaking case of emergency box. <laughs> yeah, it, if we do an episode about the PSP. Yeah, so. exactly. Um. So I don't know. I'd I'd be interested maybe one day down the line. Obviously, we have the 3DS and the Dreamcast coming up, but uh, I I think I would be interested in doing the PSP eventually. Um, But what's really cool about the Dreamcast, too, is that I I didn't even really make this connection, but it's the same years as the Game Boy Advance. Mm -hmm. Like it's the same stretch, which is so weird to think about. It's entirely different like yeah. goals as a console. And I, I think the Dreamcast in some ways is the most Icarus of any console that exists in yeah. terms of like, just because you could doesn't mean you should have. Yeah. There are so many games on the Dreamcast that are doing exactly that, but that's kind of what makes that system so special. Like there is so much like ambition and experimentation on that console. Yeah. And what's kind of weird too, is like you can sort of count, the first Xbox as a continuation of the Dreamcast. Totally. Because yeah. the Dreamcast's life was cut so short that a lot of plans, like Shenmue 2 and Jet Set Radio 2 are both on the first Xbox, which honestly I think helped Microsoft because like they pretty much just had Halo in that first console. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, so I think that the fact that they got to have like some leftovers from the Dreamcast gave them a little bit of a push, which is very sad, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Dreamcast will be fun. Uh, honestly, that game weirdly is similar to the PSP in a lot of ways where it's like we made the biggest, most powerful, coolest thing ever. We're going to we're going to blow everybody else out the water. Yeah, cool. Nintendo has the N64. Very exciting. Check out this shit. Uh, yeah. And uh, didn't work out because games were so fucking expensive to make <laughs> put the company out of business. If you do some research on the production of Shenmue specifically, which yeah. was very much like Sega's Hail Mary, that game's budget was like in the tens of millions at that time at the time yeah 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 and like did okay financially right. yeah but anyway more on that God, scene. i'm so excited to play shenmue i haven't even started it yet i'm like <laughs> so excited to play that game i from what i remember it, it's kind of like beyond judgment like i don't even think you can have a, like a take on shenmue it's more just like you can explain what happened and like your experience with it, but it's not something you can give like numeric value or even a recommendation. It's just something it's kind of like going <laughs> into happens to you. Yeah, it's, like, <laughs> it's just something that some people have to go through. Yeah, oh, um, man, I'm but it's definitely it. worth playing. I, I played very little of it, but I, I think like 
that game is very much sometimes you play a game where it's like you're so ahead of your time there wasn't even a foundation for you to work with Mm. like you discovered a new color before there was a crayon it's like what happened like (laughs) everything is like misaligned here yeah that's kind of how Shenmue feels there's also a new Yakuza game coming soon that that's, there is that's been off. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to play that. A lot of the reviews I've read so far, I mean, I, I haven't actually read any reviews all the way through, but a lot of the like kind of blurbs I've seen have been like, yeah, if you like Yakuza, you should probably play this. <laughs> and uh, Yakuza, I, I think, is Yakuza is sort of like the dream of Shenmue made real, basically. Yeah, right. Like it, it is the closest comparison because Shenmue came out at a time where the idea of sort of like having an open world design or or even just like having a lived in setting that you could sort of freely interact with. This is before even GTA three, which I think is also kind of like in the conversation around those games. Mm-hmm. But weirdly, it's kind of funny that like Yakuza, despite being compared to GTA is like kind of the opposite approach where like GTA is all about causing chaos and Yakuza is like, help your neighbors and like go to go to a bar and sing karaoke and it's like very it's like your interaction with the world outside of the main story is very pleasant yeah and positive yeah uh yeah it's it weirdly dichotomous with itself i think i think it's it's an amazing thing Uh, yeah i have a question for you yeah what's up originally we were going to wrap up now do you mind if i spring another segment on you I love a surprise segment. Let me just get a glass of water because I'm still sick from what I did earlier. So let me get a, a drink and then we'll keep going. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry I, I added to it by mentioning over the hedge at you. <laughs> no, it's okay. Let's uh, take All a break. All my Jersey years are catching up with me. I gotta get a glass of clean water. See you soon. <laughs> Bye-bye. We're back in the podcast. You haven't revealed the surprise to me. I'm very excited. Yeah, I, I just saw somebody in the Discord ask a question. I'm sh- I'm sorry, I didn't write down your name, whoever it was that asked this, uh, but you, you probably know who you are. It was a couple days ago. I was trying to find it in the break and I couldn't. But somebody in the Discord asked a question that I thought was really interesting for us to talk about on the show specifically, because it's something that you and I, I think, are just going to maybe uh, implode trying to think about and answer. <laughs> but the question was essentially... I've never played a Pokemon game before, and I will only play one. Which one should I play to get the idea of what this franchise is trying to do? Holy shit. Like, if you're just going to, like, of all the Pokemon games that are out, what is, like, the one that you should play if you've never played them before? This is, like, an actual riddle. Uh, I love this. (laughs) So, okay, so it's, I've never played Pokemon before. I'm only going to play one, which I love that limitation. Yeah. <laughs> that person knows the Discord too well because they're like, if I ask these people what to play, I'm going to get like 30. Like you start <laughs> here, play this one halfway through, play the, another one. And, and that's including myself. That's yeah. what I would say. That's like our Discord Super Bowl. Yeah, essentially. Right. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So I've never played Pokemon. Sorry, big game. The big we game. Should, we should bleep out <laughs> I've never played Pokemon. I'm only going to play one. Yeah. What is the one to play to get the best idea of the franchise, essentially? Mm-hmm. And there's no limitation on like which console, I guess. Uh, yeah, for, I guess for the not. Purposes of this That's question. all I wrote down for the question, at least. Yeah. I'm, I, I was just curious what your take on that would be. <sighs> the, the tricky thing is that this is uh, everything is subjective. And this question is deceivingly subjective because what the series means to an individual can be wildly different yes so i think like for me i think the one i'm leaning towards is probably emerald or crystal those are the two that are coming to mind interesting 
largely because they're my favorite. We've talked a lot about both of those games. Uh, we have an entire bonus on Crystal. I think the, those games came out at a time when Pokemon was a series that took full advantage of the hardware. I mean, talk about games considering being a handheld device. Like mm-hmm. Pokemon is the the full formed ideation of that yeah. <laughs> where like they were literally i mean one of the few like nintendo first party systems that were only handhelds for a very long time and would sell handhelds dramatically well right and i think you know the way crystal utilizes everything on the game boy color between using the color to communicate the time of day being tied to sort of like our actual time and influencing what pokemon come out and and other things about the world like i think the fact that they use the hardware to make that world feel alive is still so impressive and still does a better job than most other pokemon games i think i think of the two that you just mentioned i would probably pick crystal of those two specifically because of that day and night cycle and and the ways in which that reverberates throughout the world yeah i'm gonna cheat and give two um sure. I'm, I'm gonna give two so i think you're right i think like i love emeralds as well and uh, i know you said you can only play one so i know giving two is bad but because <laughs> you're only gonna play one that's why i'm giving two i'm giving you two options here mm-hmm. i think crystal does the best job if, if if this sounds appealing to you person who asked this question crystal to me is the best version of pokemon where the intent of the game is to make the world feel alive and your place in the world to feel meaningful Mm. um it also feels the most low stakes of a story which to me is better and i think it's also the best version of sort of the classic pokemon formula yeah um i do think emerald also has a really sick one player campaign but crystal there's something very magical about it very special and pretty much every game up until Arceus follows that formula. <laughs> so uh, Crystal will be one. My other one, honestly, is X and Y, uh, weirdly enough. I think X and Y is just like the easiest, uh, or I should say the most approachable. And they, it's it's kind of feels like a best of both worlds. Where like X and Y is on one hand, while the world maybe doesn't feel as alive, they're having fun with the setting, the sort of French-inspired vibe of everything. Mm. I do think the central mechanic of Mega Evolutions is fine. I could take or leave it. But I think that... The the battling and the spectacle of seeing Pokemon fight in 3D, as well as sort of the nod to the past with like you get the new starters and you also get one of the classic Gen 1 starters. Yeah. I think all that's great. And I remember really liking like it's it's definitely more kind of um specifically made, I think, with a younger audience in mind. But I do think that like if Crystal is too retro for you and is maybe a little bit too difficult, X and Y I think kind of provides the structure of a classic Pokemon game in kind of like the most seamless way. So those would be my two. Um, I, I honestly think like and more on this soon, but I think X and Y is the best of the like, you know, post gen three games. Like, I like it more than the other 3DS ones. And I like it more than the DS other than Soul Silver is also really good. But yeah, those would be my two. X and Y and, and Crystal would be my recommendations. Mine was also going to be X and Y. That was also oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, weirdly enough, I just, thinking about pre X and Y and why X and Y was so well received and people loved it so much was it felt like a shift even though it wasn't that much of a shift you know i feel like even at that point we were kind of asking ourselves as fans of the franchise like please just fucking do anything like do do anything like make any change to this franchise and we'll be happy and taking that and and saying like okay it's actually gonna be fully 3d as you and i always joke about it's like you could run diagonally it's like that was huge i wrote that in my review i reviewed the game when it came out and i was like you can move diagonally it's amazing it was like it was an amazing shift um but also i think x and y was built 
from the ground up to kind of be a, a rehash of Red and Blue in a way. It was supposed to be a yeah. new entry point for for new fans, which I they all are to certain extents, but you can tell which ones are building on previous entries and which ones are trying to be like actually new on ramps and X and yeah, Y. Like very- Diamond and Pearl kind of feel like welcome to Pokemon and black and white feel like you've been playing this for seven years, right? So yes. here's this one, you know, right? Exactly. And, and X and Y felt like another on-ramp in a way. Yeah. Um, so for that reason, I think it's great, but also I just think that game, you know, if you're talking about, okay, what is the franchise trying to do? It's pulling so much from the successful bits of everything that had come before. And it also is the thing that set the foundation for everything that happened until the past year, right? Until Arceus, yeah, until Arceus and, and Scarlet yeah. and Violet came out. So X and Y being like perfectly placed in the middle of that timeline almost makes it, I think, the best choice for me. I don't know if it's like my favorite of all of them, but it's definitely, I think, one of the better ones. And, yeah. it, and it extremely holds up. I mean, I've been playing it kind of on and off for the past month or so, and it's like still fucking great. It's a great game. I also think if you if you had to play one, you're going to get a pretty good sense of the past and the future of the series right. with X and Y. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we figured it out. It's that easy. Good. Just go to France. I know everyone's going to have a very different answer to this question, so use your best judgment. But uh, yeah, X and Y is, is a really, really fun one. It's, it's funny that like, you and I kind of had a similar answer there. That's, yeah, that's I wouldn't have expected that because I think we're both yeah, like very vocal about loving Gen 2 and 3. Yeah. I would say maybe the ones not to get are uh, <laughs> probably not well, Gen 1. don't get one. Black and White 2. <laughs> yeah, don't get Black and White 2. Don't get the Digimon DS game. Um <laughs> Otherwise, you're good. Don't get the Monster Rancher uh, card game for Game Boy Advance. I do think Red and Blue don't hold up as well for people who have never played Pokemon games before. Yeah. I, think, I think like if you if you didn't grow up in the 90s with a Game Boy playing that game, you're going to probably have a hard time going back there. Whereas for, for you and I, it's like it's fun to revisit them. One of my favorite episodes we've done was the Pokemon Red and Blue bonus, which is weirdly also one of our most popular, which I was happy to see. Mm. But that episode is largely about like, the time and place. And sometimes yeah. a game can just mean that for you. It's like, I know it's not on the same level as the rest, but like, this is so tethered to my childhood. Yeah. Um, and we're, I mean, I think like for people our age, like I would say like half of the nineties kids stopped at gen one and convinced themselves the series was bad ever since. And the other half were right and kept playing and have been happy ever since. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> uh-huh. I, I think I, it's cool to look back on Gen 1 and see like what that game does so well. Yeah. Um, but I do think, like I mean, the improvement from 1 to 2 even is so huge. Like, just as a game, pretty much every game after Gen 1 is better in structure. Mm. But I think the in ideation and in vibes, 1 is still incredible. Yeah. But yeah. X and Y is, is our answer. That's the patented uh, canonical answer from the Aether. If you're going to play one Pokemon game and then none of the other ones, X and Y. Play X and Y. Your mom is a professional Rhyhorn rider and the professor is a hot Frenchman. Right. And the, vil- and the villain is obsessed with fashion. <laughs> oh, man. You get, you get Team Flare, uh, which is a trip. So, yeah, you get one of the most ridiculous villainous teams. Lysander is maybe the worst villain in fiction. And I love him for And that. one of the best villains in Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you for bringing that question. Thank you for asking, first of all. And thank you for bringing that up uh, today, Brendan. Yeah. I enjoyed yeah, thinking about that. Yeah. I would love to answer that for other series. Sly like Cooper. <laughs> Definitely the second one. But I'd be interested in hearing your answer. <laughs> Here's a jump scare question that you don't have to answer because I think it's impossible. But if someone said, I'm going to play one video game. <laughs> 
fuck? And no other games. What game would give me the best sense of like games as an art form or as a piece of entertainment? I know that's an impossible question. I'm just curious like what your what your answer would be. I promise this, this isn't an ad for the upcoming Apple TV film starring Karen Edgerton. <laughs> I'm scared. But I think it would be Tetris. Yeah, that's not a bad answer. I think Tetris is like the, the, the ideal video game. I think it's perfect in almost every way. And the fact that the Tetris effect came out and made it even better is shocking. But you could still go play the base Tetris like on the Nintendo Switch online via the Game Boy app right now and uh, have a really good time. For similar but slightly more cosmic reasons, I think my answer would be Katamari Damacy. Um, Love that. I just think that's something that everyone could enjoy. And I think it gives you like a similarly like very understandable and simple goal, mm-hmm. but it's clearly like more than the sum of its parts. Yeah. I think I think the thing about Katamari, I love it. It has both an extremely obvious and intuitive control scheme and also a control scheme that is super weird and hard to get your head around. <laughs> but that represents all all games. <laughs> the Tetris the Katamari spectrum. Yes. All games lie between those two. Yeah, exactly. You're either a Tetris or a Katamari. Death Stranding closer to Katamari. <laughs> Mario closer to Tetris. I, this Wild is not Mart's a- right in the middle. <laughs> 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 that 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 put my brain in factory mode uh we should we should wrap up we should wrap up i do like that as a scale though honestly i think we're like accidentally onto something the with, tetris with the katamari yeah diagram yeah. yeah um hey thank you for listening into the cast that online is i our see hub. the episode art already actually <laughs> it just it just popped into my head fully formed what is it well, I guess we'll see it. You'll together. find out. Yeah. Yeah. If you like the show, uh, we pretty much run entirely on word of mouth. So recommend it to a friend if you think they'll like it. Not to be too into stats, but last month was our biggest month yet. And this month is kind of gearing up to be similar, which is really exciting. So, I mean, I, you know, we make the show because we love it, but it's really encouraging to see it grow. And just thank you all for sticking around. Uh, for those who have listened since the very beginning, it's kind of surreal to think that we've been doing the show for almost five years now, which is like, that's when time feels real. You know, it's, like, oh, shit. It's, been, it's been a distinctly different era all of a sudden. So thank you. Uh, you can also review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, and if you really like the show, we have a Patreon. As we've said many times, we have an upcoming 3DS special that will be released probably in early March, roughly, before yeah. the store closes. We're the recording 3DS it. eShop is closing in late March. I think it's the week of the 19th. So it'll at least be before then. Yeah, uh, we're recording it this coming weekend. We honestly cannot tell you how long it's going to be. So <laughs> we'll see what happens there. But that's that's on the horizon. We also have some fun plans for the Patreon. And just a reminder, the 3DS special will be the last episode for $1 patrons. So what we've decided on is that every patron episode that's been released from the very beginning up until the 3DS episode will still be available for all dollar patrons. And going forward, uh, the episodes will be available for $5 patrons. So thank you to everyone who can support the Patreon. We're happy that that backlog will be there for everyone who backs the Patreon for a dollar. But um, yeah, so that's what's on the horizon for that. Um, anything you're excited about or anything you're hoping to get soon that's well, coming out next we week? We have the Ocarina of Time bonus coming out next week yes. also. Yes. So get excited for that. That was a really good episode. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It, that, that one is long. <laughs> 
<laughs> that game is incredible. Uh, I'm very excited to share that. It was that was another one where like kind of similar to Pokemon Red and Blue, so that is kind of tethered to my childhood. But it, revisiting it was very uh, reassuring, um, yeah. especially the 3DS port of it. I've started playing Majora's Mask. Also, I don't know oh. when or how I'll talk about that on the show, but I, I'm I'm only like an hour into it. Uh, wild opening. Yeah, that game is kind of on the rails for the first like two hours. Yeah, um, it's a very different opening than others all the games. Um, yeah. without saying too much, but I would love to talk about that game with you. Yeah, it's very cool. We'll we'll get there eventually, but uh, until then, I'll probably keep talking about the PSP. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, I think all of this week is probably going to be me playing 3DS stuff. Um, yeah, me too. And just kind of like firming up my picks. I have some new games I got recently that I still haven't played, so I still have to start the Metroid Prime remaster. Oh my god, I'm so excited to talk about that. Octopath 2 comes out this coming Friday, which I'm excited about. Um, I hope it continues to deliver the same quality content as the demo. (laughs) And uh, yeah, Uh, I'll be sad when the 3DS is over, but what's kind of funny is like I feel like the, the prep work for that episode has felt lighter because I feel like you and I have already had a pretty like we're we're coming in already pretty ready for that episode. Like we've yeah. played a lot of 3DS stuff just over the course of doing the show. Yeah, it's mostly been poking at fringes of games that I like didn't know even existed. Uh and yeah. just like seeing if there are any diamonds in the rough. Things like Attack of the Friday Monsters, you know, which I yeah. I hadn't even heard of before prepping for the show and now it's uh one of my favorite games probably ever. Yeah, uh, and our structure for that is going to be a little bit looser. So we were thinking of going back to how we handled games of the decade, where it's not going to be the same, like we each have a top 10. We're just sort of going to have like a collective list of like around a dozen or closer to 20 maybe games that we like consider noteworthy. And then we each have five that we consider like our personal favorites. And then we'll settle on a five for the show. I think that might also be the structure we do with the Dreamcast. Please share your feedback on that. If you if you enjoy the the drama of a top <laughs> 10 more, um, we're happy to pivot back to that. But I do think for like console retrospectives, I kind of like having a little bit of a wider room to bring more stuff to the show. Yeah. Um, whereas I think like for Goaty, I like that limitation of 10. But for a, well, especially for a console, considering the rest of the year of the podcast is talking about all the stuff for goatee anyway you know what i mean it's like right. if we were if we were to do this concept for a goatee episode that would also mean like rehashing conversations that we've been having all year whereas i think it's more interesting to have the like pomp and circumstance of and the limitation of only 10 whereas for the 3ds there's a lot of stuff that you and i have intentionally not been bringing to the show on purpose so we could talk about it on that episode exactly so expect some push like mode content chat. for once. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> face Raiders. Yeah. I have a save data of face Raiders from 2013. That's like haunting. It's like four pictures of my friends. <laughs> uh, have you ever played face Raiders? No, I don't even know. I, I it's a game. It. It, you have it. It's a game that comes with all three DSs. It's on the system already. Whoa. And what you do is you take pictures of either yourself or your friends that are attached to these mechanical balloons that make like kissy faces at you and you have to shoot them down. Wow. It's like, it's like a weird, like virtual reality shooter, uh, where you yeah, have to like the shoot AR balloons stuff on that faces. system. Is yeah. So yeah AR, yeah. 
It's bizarre. I did learn. I didn't mention this at all during the Ocarina of Time episode, but I did learn that there was a way to like take screenshots and notes on the 3DS. Like at any point. Did you know this? No. While you're playing a game at any point, you can press the home button and then there's an app that shows up on the top. That's like a notepad and it'll take a screenshot of whatever it is that you're looking at in the game at that moment. And you can like draw on it and then also like take notes on that area, which was super helpful for Ocarina of Time in like multiple instances, like the Scarecrow song. I just wrote down notes so i would never forget it uh, is that only on the new 3ds or is that on all 3ds's i don't know maybe it, maybe amazing. it is only the new 3ds but uh that, yeah I, i've been using it that's cool the scarecrow song that would definitely help with yeah <laughs> on that note thank you for listening we'll see you next week have a wonderful rest of your day goodbye everybody bye bye Pokemon X and Y. TWG, the worst garbage, the online.